you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, we'll be covering this chapter today, which is um, the, the resurrection chapter of, of Jesus. And several, several years ago, when the um, Lord of the Rings movies were coming out, the adaptation of the, the Tolkien books were coming out, um, I believe um, Amanda and I were still dating, and we had brought, we had the very first movie, they hadn't made the other two, we had the very first movie, and we were watching it with my dad. And um, I don't, he, did, he didn't know some certain things. And so we watched, you know, they made those movies three hours long. And at the end of the movie, you've got Frodo and Sam floating away in a canoe. And, you know, the, one of the men had just done a really bad thing. And, and it looked like, you know, big time cliffhanger. And then the movie ends. And um, my dad didn't know there were going to be two more movies. And they were going to be three hours long each. And he got mad at us for showing him that one movie. And now he's got to wait another year to see any more. To my knowledge, he's never picked that back up and watched it again. Well, if, if you heard last week's sermon and you saw Jesus crucified, you saw him laid in the grave, but then you didn't come back and listen to the resurrection part of this, then it probably would be that same kind of cliffhanger or at least a very disappointed feeling. And, you know, last week's passage was exceedingly difficult to deal, uh, to deal with because it dealt with the death of our Savior. But, and, and under any circumstances, other circumstances in history, this would look like some kind of loss or the end of our story um, but as we've come to learn about Jesus, he's unique. He's different than all the other stories. Everything else that's happened has happened the way of the world. But with Jesus, things happen a little bit differently. So we know Jesus died according to the scriptures, but he was also raised on the third day. And that's what this passage today is about. The resurrection of Jesus means that the gospel has become complete. Everything that God promised uh, has now come to pass because not only did Jesus die for our sins, and it would be great for us to have forgiveness for our sins, but what if that only lasted for our mortal life and then it was over? Well, the resurrection gives us the hope of future glory, gives us the hope of eternity, because if Jesus was the first to be resurrected, that being the foundation for our hope, um, then we also have the hope of the final resurrection after the tribulations that we will face in this world. Now, we believe it and we proclaim it because for us there is no other way. We do not believe in any other hope. We do not believe in any other message. We do not believe in any other salvation. And we do not believe in any other eternity than that which God has offered to us. And so the sermon in a sentence this morning is, Jesus has arisen from the dead and commanded us to believe on him and be witnesses to others. And so as we read this passage, we're going to see kind of all of those things, rising from the dead, commanding us to believe, and also being witness to others. And so I'm going to read to you John chapter 20, verse 1 through uh, 31, the whole chapter, and, and then we'll look at just a couple of points here. Preachers always have a way of making it sound like it's going to be short, don't they? And it, they don't teach you that in school. You just figure it out. All right, so starting with verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, 
and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now in that, did you catch that John's faster than Peter? He definitely made that point. Okay, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept, uh, and as she wept, she stooped into uh, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and, saw him, and, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said those things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they had saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sin of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, uh, see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay, so we're going to break this up into basically, uh, I guess, 
three to four ideas. I forget how many points I have. But anyway, the first one is witnesses of an empty tomb. So we're going to be seeing the people that see the tomb empty and kind of what, what happens with them. So we'll deal with Mary getting there. We'll deal with uh, Peter and, and John getting there. And then we'll deal with what happens with Mary afterwards. Um, so all four Gospels tell us that Jesus was buried on Friday. And um, all four Gospels also tell us that the tomb was empty on Sunday morning. This is important because we have four witnesses to the event. This makes it a historical uh, or historically verifiable event at this point. There are plenty of people that would like to deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus, but there is no way for them to deal with the empty tomb. Why do they care? Well, there's a lot of people for various reasons that want to say that Jesus appeared to the disciples, but he wasn't a man anymore. He wasn't physically a man. You have to realize, according to what Scripture says, we need for Jesus to have been bodily resurrected. And, and the reason for that is because we have that very same hope. Uh, Paul tells us what we were covering this morning, 1 Thessalonians, that we will arise. Those that are dead in Christ will arise and will be given that resurrected body at that moment and we will meet Jesus there in the air. So we are, we are told this. And so Jesus has to have been basically bodily resurrected in his body. Now we know that body was different. It was perfected. But we do know that he was risen in his body. Just a few little things that we see here. People actually physically touch him. Raise your hand if you've touched a ghost. Please don't raise your hand. That would lead to talk too many questions. Jesus also ate. Okay, so he ate food. He, 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 they, they were touching him. He appeared to many different people at one time. People have said things like Jesus was a phantom or some kind of ghost. Uh, people have also said that the disciples were just hallucinating. Well, based on what we know about psychology, hallucinations are very individual. People do hallucinate, but not all people hallucinate the very same thing, except with color, apparently. Uh, but everything else, we, uh, we, uh, it, basically everybody's own hallucination is different, so it would not make sense for everybody to hallucinate Jesus at the same time, saying the same words that are recorded in four different Gospels. Um, so the four Gospels work as a credible historical documentation that Jesus was not in the tomb after Sunday morning. So here's an interesting thing. Um, when we talk about the empty tomb, so the disciples went to the empty tomb, or, or two of them did. There, there was a, a larger group of women, and I'll talk about that in just a minute, that went with Mary Magdalene on that morning. Um, and, and then Mary Magdalene stays around the tomb after uh, everybody's kind of cleared out. That's when she sees Jesus. But as best we can tell from any record, the disciples never go back to the empty tomb again. They, they don't go back to check again, to, to see anything else. They never go back to the empty tomb. The enemies of Jesus and the enemies of the disciples never go to the empty tomb because then they would have to admit, yes, the tomb is really empty. From what we see, no one wants to deal with that empty tomb. Jesus was gone. Nobody claims to have stolen the body. The, the um, Pharisees did say that the disciples stole the body, but that really doesn't make sense because it was the Pharisees who made sure there were roaming guards watching the body, watching the grave. We know the, the tomb was empty. Nobody's ever claimed that it wasn't empty. And so we know that Jesus was risen from the dead. Uh, every other explanation that people have made has fallen apart with any kind of scrutiny whatsoever. So we know from the other gospel accounts that Mary went there with other people. Um, a few other ladies uh, went, went to the tomb and they were going there to, to finish preparing the body of Jesus for the longer burial period. They were going to put more spices and things on his body that they weren't able to do 
because they were working against the clock on the day that Jesus was crucified because the Sabbath would start at sundown on that Friday and they were forbidden to work from that point forward. So they waited until the end of the Sabbath and then it says that they left before daylight on the, the, the basically Sunday morning for us and arrived right at dawn and there at dawn the stone was rolled away. Now, from other gospel accounts, we also know that the Roman guard that had been positioned there at the tomb, they were passed out, kind of coming to. They had been affected by the angels. The ladies actually see the angels, but that's not part of John's account because he's specifically focused on Mary. And so we will kind of return to her for a different interaction starting in verse 11. So the timing um, of the resurrection has been difficult for a lot of people. Jesus said, you know, three days, you know, in, in, in the grave. Um, and people say, well, Monday night to Sunday morning isn't three days. Well, Jesus didn't promise that he would be in the grave or in the tomb for 72 hours. We're so literal that we would think of it like that. But rather that he would be in the tomb for three days. And he was. So by Jewish reckoning, they didn't think of like part of a day as only part of a day. But if you were in the grave on Friday, you were in the grave on Friday. And he was. And then he was in the grave on Sunday. And so he was also, and because really sundown on Saturday would have started Sunday for them. It would have been the third day. Jesus, we know he was, he was up and gone by dawn. But he had to have been in the grave for some point during the Sunday. So he was in the grave for, for three days, but not necessarily 72 hours. So that's been difficult for some people. As soon as Mary Magdalene sees the open tomb, she didn't wait with the other women. She actually ran to go tell the apostles. Um, so if she had stayed, she would have seen the angels and heard their explanation that the other women heard, but that's not what she saw. And so she runs and she finds Peter and John. And together, they take off and run to Jesus' tomb. Um, but they are... Um, uh, and, and again, John makes it pretty apparent that he is uh, that, that he's faster than Peter. I, I've always wondered, was that some kind of um, joke or some kind of... I don't know exactly why John did that, but it does seem like maybe they were kind of joking with each other about, about that. Um, and, and maybe afterwards Peter took up running and he was faster than John, but John said, remember that one time I beat you? I, I, don't, I don't have any idea, but it just seems like there's a, there's a pretty good story there that maybe we get to hear one of these days. So, John gets to the tomb first um, because he's younger, and he looks in the tomb, but he doesn't go in. When he looks in the tomb, it's obvious that this wasn't a grave robbery because the grave clothes, Jesus was laid in grave clothes, and this would have been kind of an intricate wrapping thing, not necessarily mummified, but he would have been kind of intricately wrapped there. Um, the grave clothes are still there, um, but Jesus himself is not present. So um, if people had just stolen his body, they would have just grabbed him and left. Obviously, you've got to deal with the Roman guard. You've got to roll the stone away. But once you get all that done, you're just going to take the body, grave clothes and all, and leave. Not to mention there were very valuable spices there as well. Uh, but all of that was laying there, and, and then Jesus himself was gone. So um, everything, um, or when Peter arrives, he just goes barreling in. That's just like his, his personality. He comes running in, so he sees one more little piece of evidence that the, the napkin or the cloth that was laid on Jesus' face is folded up and laid apart from the rest of the grave clothes. So it, there was an intentionality in the way that Jesus left. And so when Peter sees this, John kind of peeks in and looks. Um, and so everything that, that Peter saw left him confused. He didn't know exactly what to do with all this. Um, but we are told that it's at this moment that John believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Now, even at that point, John says he didn't understand everything that, that this meant and everything that kind of went along with the scriptures, but this is the moment that he believed. And we see that he doesn't, like, you know, condemn Peter or even, even really rebuke Peter for not believing. And he maybe probably has some conversations when they're in the upper room, but he is not mean or harsh to them because they did not believe um, at the same time that he did. So after their time in the tomb, Peter and John went their own way. And it's likely that John went uh, to tell the mother of Jesus what he had come to believe. So it's very likely, remember, Jesus gave him charge over Mary. So it's very likely John went off and told Mary what was going on. So when Peter and John left, Mary was still standing alone outside the tomb weeping. Um, and, and the weeping is probably the explanation for why this went kind of the way that it did, uh, at least with the angels. If you'll remember... The other women from, from other gospel accounts, the other women were scared when they saw the angels. Mary doesn't seem to be afraid at all. Um, it's very possible um, that she wasn't afraid, like the other women, because she was nearly tear-blinded. If she is weeping bitterly and, and she doesn't know where the body of Jesus is, she feels that this is her responsibility to take care of the body of Jesus, to kind of pay that respect to him. She's weeping bitterly. She sees two people in the tomb, but she doesn't see well enough to see that, okay, these are actually angels and I should be scared. So the angels ask her about her weeping, and she once again indicates that she believes the body of Jesus has been stolen or taken at this particular time. Um, and Mary, she's not at a point of doubt. This is not some reason to say, hey, see, Mary didn't have any faith. Um, she simply does not understand what has happened with Jesus. She just doesn't know what's going on at this point. Um, and her love for Jesus is one thing that cannot be denied. When we look at Mary, we see that she loved Jesus. And just to remember her backstory, this is a woman that had been um, possessed by demons, had been through a pretty rough time, and Jesus had miraculously cleansed her of demons and set her on a whole different path in life, changed her whole life around, and so she was devoted to following Jesus all the way to the end. And so her love for Jesus is not what's in question. Um, and it's at this moment that Jesus actually chooses to reveal himself to her. And so Jesus is standing there, um, and he asks her, you know, where, what are you looking for? You know, who are you looking for? And she still doesn't see and recognize Jesus for who he is. Now, there's a couple of things about this. We see uh, examples of other disciples not knowing who Jesus is until he does something like breaking bread or, 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 or praying or something along those lines. Um, and Mary doesn't recognize Jesus until he says her name. There's probably two reasons. One, maybe God was wanting for that moment to be the moment that, that she recognized Jesus. And then the other might just be because you don't expect to see people that you know to be dead walking around in a garden. That's just not what you're looking for. You're not prepared to see that. And sometimes when we're not prepared to see something, that's not what we see. But either way, she speaks to this man, and Mary says, if you've taken Jesus... Now, why would she think that the gardener had taken Jesus? Well, this was a borrowed tomb. It was a rich man's tomb. And so it, it may have crossed her mind that since Jesus didn't really belong there, they had removed the body... And, and placed him somewhere else. And she says, if you will just tell me where he is, I'll go and take him. So this one little old woman was ready to just pick up the body of Jesus and take him somewhere else and bury him. She was that dedicated to Jesus that maybe she didn't even think about, well, maybe I can't pick him up. That never crossed her mind. She was going to take Jesus and bury him somewhere. That was what her goal was. And then Jesus says her name. 
And if we remember, that was a very important event in her life long ago when Jesus spoke her name. And it's important for us to remember that Jesus knows us by name. That's when she recognized who Jesus was. When Jesus speaks her name, everything changes. And Mary realizes that she is standing before the teacher. She calls him Rabboni, which is teacher or also master. So this was not a disrespect. You're not Lord. This is not, this is not anything like that. That's how she knew Jesus. And that's how she referred to him. Now, although John doesn't say this um, uh, to us specifically, we know that Mary probably threw herself at Jesus' feet and began to worship him at that moment. She would have been weeping, um, probably, you know, um, the same sort of scenario where her, her tears are falling on his feet. Um, that, that same kind of scenario that we had seen before, and she begins to cling to his legs. And Jesus says, don't cling to me. Now, some of this is a little confusing, um, not because he doesn't want her devotion, um, but because he wants her to go and tell the disciples um, that he is risen from the dead. So he gives her a very specific message. And this is kind of the first time we see or the first time we begin to understand that Jesus was risen from the dead and he was not only just expecting his disciples to believe, but he was expecting them to go and spread the news, to spread the word that he had been risen from the dead. So he says, I'm going to ascend to my Father, your Father, to my God, your God. He is bringing them into not just the faith, but into the family. My Father, your Father. Bringing them into that. And so Mary obediently goes and she tells the disciples everything that she's seen. And so what we see here is that Mary was one of the very first people to go and proclaim that Jesus had risen from the dead and that he is really, or she becomes the first post-resurrection witness as she tells the disciples everything that Jesus commanded. So it's important for us to remember this. We worship a risen Savior, but we must also serve a risen Savior by declaring his death and resurrection to the world. So it is one thing to know the joy of Jesus Christ and him risen from the dead. But it is another part of our responsibility to go and proclaim that Jesus has been risen from the dead. So let's look at the first appearance to the disciples next. So it, it gets into evening. So technically by Jewish accounting, it would actually be Monday at this point, but it's evening on the Sunday night, the way that we understand it. They are, they are in the upper room possibly John Mark's house, but they're, they're kind of locked in, and, and they're locked in for a number of reasons. Okay, so one, the Jews uh, are, are probably already after the disciples. By this point, word that the tomb is empty is out there. The, the, the message that the disciples may have stolen the body is out there, so it's probably not incredibly safe for the disciples to just move around the city freely. Um, but two, they need to kind of circle the wagons and figure out what's going on here because Jesus didn't just appear to Mary. Um, what we know is that Jesus appeared to uh, the other women. He appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he appeared to Peter. All on that first day that Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to all of these folks. And so probably each person is there sharing what they know, the information that they know, and they're probably trying to make sense of this. So probably a lot of conversations are going on in the midst of all of this. And so they're behind locked doors, um, and then Jesus appears. So it doesn't seem that Jesus picked the lock that was, isn't the way the, lock, the doors would have worked back then. It would have probably been barred. In other words, like a piece of wood over the door to keep it from functioning. Um, but Jesus appears in that room um, coming, uh, without coming through the door and commands the disciples not to be afraid. 
So why is he telling the disciples not to be afraid? If we had the doors locked, doors locked, windows closed, somebody just shows up in the middle of the room, wouldn't you be a little afraid? I would be. That would, that would definitely throw me off of the preaching groove for a minute. If that's what I was doing, somebody just appears here in the middle of the room, that would, that would definitely throw me off. And so Jesus says, don't be afraid. But there's also another reason that he says that, because they are looking at the Jews as a threat. They are considering the dangers of following Jesus in this new and different situation that they've been in. And so Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. Don't live in fear, especially at this particular time. There have always been those who said that Jesus didn't receive a bodily resurrection. Um, but here Jesus tells his disciples, touch me. If, if you want to, to place your hand where the nails went, to place your hand where the spear went, you can touch me. Another gospel, I think it's Matthew, even includes the fact that at this point Jesus stopped and ate a little bit of food. And all of this was evidence that Jesus was resurrected with a body, just as we will one day be resurrected with a body. So, in this appearance, Jesus makes a statement uh, that has often been confusing for those who read it. Um, I'm going to read it again before I actually kind of um, deal with it because it is, it is a little confusing. So this is John chapter 20, verse 22. He says, well, let me get back to 21 because that helps with the context. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay, this kind of sounds like Jesus just gave the, the apostles the authority to forgive sins and to withhold forgiveness. And so that's kind of confusing. So when you run into a, a confusing sort of passage, what you do is you look at everything else that the scripture says and see how we can maybe make it line up with the other things that we have seen and said. So a very important passage is Matthew chapter 16. Uh, if you'll remember Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is going along. He asks his disciples, who are people saying that I am? They answer that, and then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus makes this very you know, amazing statement. He says, I say to you that you are Christ, or that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never prevail against you. Anything that you loose on heaven will be loose on earth, and anything that or anything that you loose on earth will be loose in heaven, bind up, that, that kind of thing. And so when we, when we look at the way that that passage has been interpreted throughout history, early on it was interpreted to mean that whoever was Peter's successor had the keys to the kingdom, had the, the, the ability to forgive sins. And so the, the tradition states that Peter spent his last days as the bishop of the church in Rome. And so that's why when you look at the Pope today, um, the, the, the Catholic Church still believes that the Pope has the authority to forgive sins based off of that. That's not how Protestants read and understand that passage because the way we see it, where Jesus says you are Peter, which that word means pebble or, or, or chip off the old block is kind of what it means. Um, and Jesus says, and upon this rock, and that word is bedrock, so that would be the confession, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's where we'll build the church. That's where that power, that authority is, is in the church itself in the confession of Jesus Christ. So if, if that's the way that we read it and understand it, then what do we do with this right here? What we do with this right here is understand that Jesus just said, as the Father, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. How do people access forgiveness for their sins? 
It is by hearing and believing the gospel, right? And so if the disciples go out, faithfully proclaim the gospel, people are going to be forgiven. If the disciples do not proclaim the gospel, people will not be forgiven. I see this as an evangelistic mandate. Go out and proclaim forgiveness. Go out and proclaim salvation, and then you will um, be doing the work that, that you've been commanded to do. We need to remember that he didn't just give the apostles this, this, this command. There were more than just apostles in this upper room at this time. Some people, to kind of editorialize it, will say Jesus was only speaking to Peter and reaffirming what he had said in Matthew chapter 16. There's no evidence that that's what Jesus did. Um, even if he was just speaking to the apostles, again, if you're, if you're going to take Matthew chapter 16 to say Jesus was talking to Peter, then you've got to find a way to make John 20 be talking to Peter, and that's not what happens here. What it seems is if Jesus is saying, go out and proclaim the gospel. Those that hear it, they can be saved. Those that don't hear it uh, will have no other way of salvation. So here's what we should take from this, what Jesus says here. We must understand that proclaiming the gospel is every Christian's job. There may be someone that you're the only one ordained to speak to that person about Jesus. There may be. Now, I know that's kind of a cheap preacher trick to kind of scare you into telling people about Jesus, but whatever it takes. You know, there's a place where Paul says whether Jesus is preached this way or that way, either way, the gospel is proclaimed. And so what we have to understand is that we have to tell people about Jesus. They're not going to figure it out from the way the world is going right now. I mean, if you, if you look at everything that's happening in the world right now, it's not pointing to Jesus. It's pointing every way but Jesus. You know, I was thinking recently, the Bible says that, that, that there's a narrow path that leads to salvation and there's a broad road that leads to destruction. Well, if you've ever been to places like Houston and Atlanta and those places where there's like a concrete jungle almost, just the highways just look like vines going every which direction. That's the kind of picture I get in my mind when I think about that broad road. There's lots of different ways to get to destruction. Lots of different lanes, lots of different exits, lots of different ways that you can find yourself in destruction. But then there's that one narrow road. Because if you could say, well, the problem with America is this, and finish that sentence with one thing, that might be something that we could fight. But when we say the problem with America, the problem with the world, the problem with sinful man today, you then need to write a book to finish that sentence. And there's a lot of ways that people are going towards destruction. There's nothing pointing to Jesus except believers. We really do hold the power of forgiveness. Not because we have the authority to forgive, but we have the message of forgiveness. And if we aren't proclaiming it, no one else will. So let's look specifically at Thomas for a minute. So there's, there's the visit that Jesus pays to all the disciples, and then Thomas boldly proclaims, I will never believe until I see and touch and experience Jesus for myself. And so Jesus comes back and lays down uh, a challenge to Thomas. So Thomas wasn't present uh, during the first visit that Jesus made with the disciples. And so when they told him about it, he refused to believe until he had personally investigated the body of Jesus. It does seem weird to us. I mean, it just does because Thomas wants to actually touch the wounds. But what we have to realize, and we don't need to be too hard on Thomas, what we have to realize is that he's only asking to receive the same information that the disciples themselves had just received. Because they had seen the body of Jesus. They had seen the wounds. They had, with their own eyes, been able to investigate if that was really Jesus or not. So, in one week's time, Jesus appears, actually eight days, Jesus appears to the disciples again in the same manner behind a locked door. They probably still weren't ready for it. 
So let's just say that that happened earlier in the first point of my sermon. Somebody appeared, they said some things, and they were gone. If we went on and kept on preaching, which would be unlikely, and somebody did it again, it would still throw me off. Even if it was happening a second time, it would throw me off. So eight days later, Jesus shows up again, and he still begins to, to tell them, don't be afraid. Now, Jesus invites Thomas to examine his body. Here, here, here's the wounds. Touch the wounds. See for yourself that I am real. Now, at this point, Thomas actually does forego um, this. And se- instead, he simply begins to worship Jesus as both Lord and God. And what's really good about this is this gives us three different facts about the resurrection that we really need to know. One, Jesus was resurrected in his body just as we will be on the final resurrection. This, this kind of closes the door because he challenges Thomas, don't just see the wounds, touch them. Feel them with your hands. Understand that I am risen. And so that's the first thing. The second thing, Jesus accepts the title of God from Thomas. Jesus says, my Lord and my God. This this is not rabbi. This is not teacher or master. This is Lord and God. He bows and begins to worship Jesus. If there was ever a time that Jesus wanted to make it clear that he wasn't God, he would need to go ahead and make that clear right now because they're still missing it. But no, Thomas believed that Jesus was God and, and, and Jesus accepted that worship. Third, we who have believed in the resurrection of Jesus without seeing him will receive a great blessing. So Jesus says, have you believed since you've seen? But blessed are those that having not seen still believe. There is a blessing for us. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have the scriptures to proclaim the resurrection to us. But there is still a blessing because we have not personally seen Jesus. And that is a great truth and something that we can hang on to. So, doubting Thomas. Doubt is not a sin so long as we take it to the Lord. And that's exactly what Thomas said. I'm going to doubt until the Lord shows me. That's not necessarily a problem. So if, if I told you tomorrow some off-the-wall thing, some off-the-wall idea that you know Jesus no longer wants us to be righteous, he wants us to live happy lives and do whatever we want to do, hopefully you would say, I'm not going to believe that unless God tells me that. That would be good doubt. So for Thomas, he had a doubt, and until God showed him otherwise, he was going to keep that doubt. So that's what he wanted to do. He decided that only Jesus could settle the doubt Uh, and we would do well to make that very same decision. If someone's telling you something that doesn't sound right, don't believe it until you check it out in Scripture. Don't believe those things until you check it out for yourself in Scripture and see what the Lord has to say. Take your questions to the Lord so that He may give you the answers, and then you'll be able to praise Him, just like Thomas did. As soon as he got the answers, he was praising Jesus again. Sometimes when our doubts are answered, that's some of the best worship we will ever have, and certainly that was true for Thomas. And so then John includes these last two verses to tell us the purpose for the gospel, and I believe it also gives us purpose in life as well. So he's nearing the end of the gospel. There will be one more chapter. Many people think that the last chapter was actually written later. But John nears the end of the gospel. He does not claim to have given a full account uh, of the life of Jesus. In fact, he doesn't even really give it in chronological order, although if it weren't for John, we would think Jesus' ministry was 18 months or less. Um, So anyway, he doesn't claim to give a full account of Jesus. Instead, he has written these words so that we may believe on Jesus Christ and be saved. He meticulously went through the signs that that Jesus did in front of the disciples and chose very specific signs 
that would reveal the deity of Jesus. So that's what he was doing. When he goes through these signs, it's like they keep increasing, not necessarily in difficulty, but just in, in evidence, building upon, upon more evidence that Jesus is the Christ, that he is deity, that he is God. Now John says everyone who believes these words will have a life, and that life will be eternal. So here's two things, and this is it. We must make certain that we believe the words of the gospel. Do you believe that Jesus was crucified for your sins? Do you believe that he was buried, just as the Bible says that he was? And do you believe that he's been resurrected? Do you believe that if you place your faith in him, you will have eternal life? Make sure you believe the gospel, and you will be saved. But also, we must devote our lives to proclaiming those words to the lost. If we really believe this is the only way to salvation, if we really believe this is our only hope, wouldn't it make sense that we would spend our lives telling others about Jesus? Because there's no other way. Jesus made that clear. There is no other way. And so if we don't tell people about the gospel, who will? Let's have a word of prayer. And then we will go, we'll have our invitation, a time to respond, and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you thanking you so much for your son leaving an example for us of how it will go. He not only spent his life in your service, but he also paid with his life. You may be calling some of us to do the very same thing, but he was not left he was not abandoned. He was not discarded when he was used up. Instead, you remembered him, rose him from the dead, and as a first fruit of the resurrection that would also be for us. So Lord, we know that we will spend our lives in service to you. And we know that unless we are in the generation in which Jesus returns, we will probably die while on this earth but we know that we will not be forgotten or discarded or abandoned you will come back for us and when you do you will bring us up out of the graves and we will have a new body and a new life that is our hope that is what keeps us going that's why we're here this morning and i praise you for that truth and i pray that we can make sure that it is firmly planted in our hearts. So when we look around and we would be distressed or we would be worried or we would be afraid, we will remember the hope that you have given us and then we can rejoice again. Even with old doubting Thomas, we can say, my Lord and my God, because truly you are our Lord and you are our God. And I pray that we will always respond in worship to you. But also I pray that we will respond in obedience. For we truly are the keepers and the purveyors of the good news of Jesus Christ. Make us faithful to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.